I was pushed to a place where I was so tired and so afraid and facing life or death that I chose life. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A Congruent Life. I'm Andy Gray, and thanks so much for joining us. This is episode 25 of A Congruent Life, where I'll be talking with the amazing Meg Warden. First, I'd like to say a quick thank you to Pruitt76, who left a five-star review for the podcast in the iTunes store and says, these are dynamic and amazing true life stories from authentic people that I can relate to. Thanks so much for the iTunes review, which is really helpful to a young podcast like this one. And I'm really glad you're finding these conversations enjoyable. I definitely agree with you on the authentic people part. It's so inspiring to hear from people who are consciously defining their lives to live authentically. And speaking of authentic people, I'm talking today with Meg Warden. Meg is a writer and a health coach through her business called Feed Me Darling, but really one of her primary values is freedom. She wrote a hugely insightful article called Everything I Know About Freedom I Learned in Prison. Meg has an amazing story, which includes spending two years in a federal penitentiary for selling ecstasy tablets during a particularly challenging part of her life. We don't really spend much time talking about the details of Meg's story. For that, I'd highly recommend that you check out Meg's writing, including her upcoming memoir, as well as listen to a great interview that she did recently with Srini Rao on the Blogcast FM podcast. We did, however, talk a lot about her insights from her experience, including the remarkable way that she's embraced her past in an honest way, without allowing herself to be defined by it, and drawn strength from her experiences. I'm talking today with Meg Warden, who is an amazing writer and health coach through her business called Feed Me Darling. Meg, welcome to It Can Grow Life. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So Meg, for our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with you, uh, just at a high level, what is it that you do? I would say at a high level, I am giving active strategy for living a life that is all about freedom. So I'm teaching people how to be free at a high level. Environmentally, I'm a health coach. The opening conversation is through food and nutrition. Ultimately, we're talking about a spacious and free life. I love the reframe of that where working as a health coach is essentially a gateway into a larger a larger bit of freedom. Yeah, every, kind of everything we do plays out on our plate. And it's nice to have that really grounded environment, you know, that right with the environment kind of entry point conversation for people. It's really accessible rather than saying, hey, I'll teach you how to be free. That's very vague and esoteric. So we start by talking about food and our basic survival. It's a powerful tool. And so where does that lead when you when you start talking about freedom, which ultimately can be somewhat esoteric, but what does that journey into freedom look like with you and the clients that you work with? It depends on the client. I mean, it's it's both really personal and unique as well as, you know, certainly as these things go, I attract a pretty specific kind of client. So generally, the clients I attract are going to be, I attract a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of artists, um, people that are very 
engaged in their life. They are very enthusiastic about their life. They're people that, you know, know that they're perhaps made for some kind of dent making in the universe and they feel incredibly overwhelmed and stress is generally their biggest issue. And a lot of times clients are coming to me because that stress is leading to stress eating. And as a result, they don't feel as good in their body and all of the things they'd like to accomplish. They don't feel like they have the energy for or the confidence. So the conversation about what we can do, you know, with health and nutrition and helping people feel good in their body, that's their first line of defense. So if you have great energy in your, in your body, then you're able to use that body as a tool to be in the world, um, interacting and connecting and giving and receiving. And it sort of naturally escalates into a much bigger conversation. And so we talk a lot about also the metaphoric, the metaphorical places in your life where you're either being fed or starved. So certainly there are many ways that we get nourished in the world and not all of them are on our plate, but our plate is a pretty great point of reference for how all of the rest of it is working out. So then depending on the client, we're just doing different kinds of strategies and resources and accountability so that they are as effectively and easily and joyfully as possible getting their big goals met. So I'm all about finding those little cracks where they can make tiny changes that make huge changes. I like a life, I I want all of my clients to have a life that's extremely fun. (laughs) Well, these principles of freedom that you're talking about and the enthusiasm that you're talking about them with, it it really jives, I think, with the the primary theme of this show, which is really about talking about authenticity and sharing the stories of authenticity. So what does living authentically or congruently mean to you? I would say probably one of the biggest pieces of my life and, and what I do, what you know, what feeds me creatively as well as what actually is the biggest marketing engine for my business is writing. And, you know, writing ultimately comes down to being able to tell a story. And so, you know, I'm a big promote proponent of story. It comes up a lot and it's not just the ability to be able to write your story down. For me, that's the avenue I've chosen, but it is really the ability to be able to objectively And without judgment, tell our own stories first and foremost to ourselves so that we can conceptualize and heal the things that need healing. And then also when we're able to articulate those stories to other people, we can engage a support system. Um, You know, certainly if you're, you know, there, there are different ways to tell this, tell your own personal stories. And certainly if you're shrouded in shame, shame and guilt about things that you've done, you're going to perhaps elicit judgment with your stories. It's powerful to be able to tell a story objectively that's free from those things. And the result of that is to be able to make deep connections with people. And instead of eliciting judgment, you get support. And then you're able to raise the vibration of your relationships to be mutually supportive. So when you're, when I'm thinking of being, um, authentic, having a life that's in alignment, um, being able to be in, uh, happy, be in flow, be able to interact with the world around me in a way that feels really clean and uplifting and forward moving, you know, creative is to it's all comes back to the basics of being able to 
tell the stories of my own life and, you know, help support and uplift the people in my world to tell their stories in a way that's free from those limiting belief systems. So we're doing that. I'm doing that with clients, of course, in my relationships with friends and fellow writers. That's a big piece as well. You have a pretty amazing story of your own, and and you share that very freely uh, in in many different places. And we'll certainly link to some examples of that, as well as your forthcoming memoir, where you talk a lot about your story. But just briefly, I guess you went through this sort of challenging place in your life where you ended up going to prison for selling ecstasy. I did. And it was kind of coupled with becoming a new mom and going through a really challenging, uncertain piece of your life in that. Can you tell us maybe a little bit about some of your reflections about that experience and how that plays into what you were just describing about telling stories and and sharing those stories authentically and without judgment? Mm, Yeah, that's that plays into it as a really big part. That's it was a huge story. It was definitely a really big game changer for me. It was um, a long drawn out very painful experience. And the choice within that experience was either to fold. And I mean, really, it was it's really one of those kinds of of pains that you can be lost in the sadness and the trauma around, or use the impetus to create something better. And and the question is, how do you use this big like for me, how was I going to use this really awful thing to actually feed something better like you know was I gonna just it never felt to me like something I could tuck away in a compartment pretend it never happened and try to move on as if it never happened and not tell anyone you know certainly that's an option and I'm I know for a fact that many people take it. It's interesting since I share this story, I do have people contact me privately and and say, oh, I have this big secret, this big shameful secret that I also had these legal troubles or actually spent time in jail. So I know it happens, but you know, there are ways that to me, I think when you put those things in compartments, it's going to eat away at you. Holding a secret in a shameful box is going to eat away from you. Um, but I also, you know, it's a very, very scary thing to face that kind of stigma. And we're not just talking about prison, like all kinds of things that have happened to people. It's very scary to face potential judgment, to face stigma. So, um, you know, I, I just made the decision, honestly, Andy, I made the decision that, well, you know, I would say it was really first and foremost for my son. When I thought about what his future looked like, my probably my primary motivation for telling this for figuring out a way to tell this story was so that he wouldn't have to live with the shame. And of course, statistically, parents who go to prison have children that that are more likely to go to prison. And I was not okay with that either. So I had this feeling that if I would could find this way to liberate us from the stigma somehow, that not only would he be in a place where he could appropriately articulate the story and his own story, which is similar but different than mine, he has a story about his mother going to prison, you know, if he could be able to have the gift of being able to tell that story without stigma or shame, I felt like that would be, you know, a really, um, a really great achievement. So when I first got out of prison, you know, I was, I was scared, of course, to tell people, but also found myself in a place where 
I couldn't talk about my, it was very difficult to talk about my life without talking about it. What do you say? Like you don't realize in conversations how much people are talking about, you know, the things they, they just got back from this trip or, you know, their recent history gets exchanged in a new relationship. And my recent history was off the map where I was having to face telling people this big thing. So I sort of practiced faking it till I made it, you know, how could I tell the story from a place of, of clarity and power. And, um, so I would practice. And as I told the story, um, the responses I got were surprisingly supportive. And I started to discover that my confidence telling the story was having an effect on the confidence of other people. Um, and it just kept growing. And certainly I wanted to write the story as well. It took me, it took me years really to fully come out of the proverbial closet about this thing. But when I did, I had practice and I really had a lot of faith around the importance of telling the story. And I also knew that I was someone that could articulate the story in a way that many people who are part of the justice system just don't have the tools for or the support around. So I also felt kind of a social responsibility about it. So all these pieces played in my kid, my own personal liberation and sort of a society, you know, sort of a social justice perspective. And it was enough for me. So I just kept telling it and I kept writing it and I just kept putting myself out there and it was scary and I did it anyway. And the result has been amazing. I mean, it really, now I make the joke that I'm out to prove that crime does pay because it's actually, this story has been such a gift and such a blessing. It is really, you know, a compelling story that is ripe with meta metaphors about how to live. And, um, it can be applied across the board to all kinds of conversations. So there's definitely a way in which I'm really grateful for it. And I might add, despite the justice system, I have gotten a lot of great things from, from this experience. I think that's one of the most inspiring pieces of your story is that you, you did find that middle way. You know, it'd be very easy to, uh, as you said, simply deny that it happened, sweep the whole thing under the rug and just say, this is a part of my past that I don't want to acknowledge. And you could do the opposite and simply say, I am completely defined by my life as, um, you know, spending this time in prison. But instead, you've embraced this in a very holistic way and said, this, this is a blessing to me. This is part of my story and I have something to offer the world by sharing it. Yeah, it's, you know, I guess there's a way in which hiding it did not feel like the easier way to me. Um, I'm not sure if that's an experience other people share, but there's a part of me that has always, um, you know, always, well, people, I have a lot of people, in fact, I just wrote a blog post about this that I'm not even sure got fully explored. This concept of bravery is such a big one. And people say that to me a lot, you know, wow, what a brave thing, or like, your writing is so brave. And there's a way that I think it feels like I'm compelled to do this thing and compelled to tell this story. And my, my need to be not weighed down. I mean, I have plenty of a history of sadness and self-judgment and poor choices that really limited my options. And I'm not willing to live with that kind of sadness anymore. Like I'm just not willing. And so hiding it and compartmentalizing it 
didn't feel easy. That felt like a life that had no life in it. And that just did not feel like an option for me. The only way I could see my life going forward was to have a lot, you know, to have the freedom from having to carry around a shameful secret. Um, I, I wanted the clarity, you know, I wanted to be in the world in a way that I was free from my own shame in a way that I could then help other people. So I think in some weird way, while this has been the risk, maybe the riskier or scarier way to be in the world in at, at the outset, you know, I'm used to it now, but it also, I didn't, while, and of course I had the choice, I didn't feel like I had the choice. I didn't feel like carrying a shameful secret was a choice. You know, I didn't feel like that was any kind of option for my one precious life. And especially for the life of my son. You talk a lot about and write a lot about gratitude as part of your journey. And in particular, you have talked about feeling grateful even while you were in prison and going through that experience in the middle of what must have been a very challenging part of your life. And that takes a lot of both strength and wisdom to be able to be in that place in that moment. Do you have a sense of where that came from for you in that time? How, how did you have the strength and the clarity that this is what you needed to do to transform that experience? Wow. Okay. That's a great question. That's a deep question. How did I have the strength? God, it's sort of like the perennial question. I wish I could pinpoint that one moment where I had this moment of clarity. I mean, I would like to say without sounding terribly um, out there that I felt like there was some kind of divine intervention. I mean, and I don't know when it came on because, because it, there were moments, you know, it felt like it was coming on maybe my whole life, you know, something reemerged, some moment, some piece of something I believed when I was little or something I was gifted with that was covered up for a long time, or perhaps it was a light, a bolt of lightning from some divine source. I, I don't really know, Andy, maybe it's when we're pushed to our edges to a place where you're just so, so tired. You, you know, I mean, there was a way that I was pushed to a place where I was so tired and so afraid and facing life or death, you know, in a very real way that I chose life. And when you really, really choose life, and I mean, you see this in people that face death through disease or, you know, it's always that kind of crazy thing, how the guy who is a double amputee ends up like, you know, hiking K2 or something. I mean, I don't know if that's ever happened, but you know what I'm talking about. That's the guy that ends up finally running the marathon, right? Mm -hmm. There's a way that um, being really, really up against the wall can just knock the scales right out of your eyes. And being a new mother, you know, I, I just went through so many things right back to back. So many life-changing events happened just right back to back. And facing prison with a new baby, you know, there's also something about parenting. Good God, you give birth to this human being and it's terrifying. And you get overcome with wanting to create a life that's better for them. And there's a, there's this way in which your motivation to help yourself is not even always as strong as the one that you have to make life okay for this, this person you're responsible for. So 
all of these things were a perfect storm for me. And what had been building for a while, I had started, you know, I'd quit being um, a regular drug user and I had gotten out of a violent relationship and I had started doing yoga and eating healthy and reading and starting to really um, practice some, I started embodying some of these new practices that were promoting clarity and spaciousness and strength of body and mind and um, getting pretty involved in that as it was an immediate effect. Yoga particularly was the first, my first entry point. It was just immediate how I could tell the difference in the way I was in the world and the way I was able to handle challenges that arose and how I started to learn how I could be responsive to life rather than merely reactive. And when the prison thing came up and I was faced with having to go to prison, I mean, it's just out of your control. You know, I, I, I realized at some point as I was wishing and hoping and praying that I didn't have to go, that what I was doing was essentially some kind of hubris that I was making some decision that I was going to be okay if I didn't have to go to prison and I was not going to be okay if I did. And somehow that struck me as just not, as not okay all across the board. I mean, that was just too limiting because I didn't know, you know, I, I might have to go to prison. So I had to somehow find a way to hope and wish and pray that I was going to be okay, no matter what happened, that there was no outcome in which I would not be okay. And that I didn't know. And somehow that blew open my ability to perceive this whole thing as bigger, you know, as, as a broader definition, I was able to get out of the sort of, what do you call it? You know, the, the agreed upon definition of prison. Prison is bad. <laughs> prison is going to be a terrible experience. And of course it was all that. Don't get me wrong. Prison is bad. Prison is a terrible experience. There was nothing about it that was nice or okay. Um, but even the definition of time, you know, you know, I had this very soon in the process realize that even the language around it, that somebody told me, you know, here's how much time you're given and that time is this concept that we are always lacking out here, you know, outside of prison, nobody has enough time inside of prison. Everybody has too much of it. And that perhaps I could practice viewing this, this time I was given as a gift that I didn't quite understand. And it was all just very experimental in my head and, and very defiant. I mean, part of it was just, I was pissed off. I was mad. You know, I didn't, nobody was going to tell me what I was, you know, how I was going to receive this gift. And nobody was going to tell me on what date I would be free. I mean, I was mad. Like when you're given a situation where you, your rights are stripped away and nobody's, you know, there's no getting out of it. It's a very weird experience to go to prison because there are so many things in your life that you do that you actually do have a choice. You can quit. You can't quit prison. I couldn't be like, yeah, you guys, you know, this really isn't working out for me. I I don't look good in khaki and take off. Like I couldn't leave. I couldn't become home to my kid. There were, it was just this really interesting psychology happens. In fact, um, I don't know if you've read uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. He does a really good job of talking about the psychology 
of incarceration. Um, and it was one I witnessed firsthand with other people. So I was able to, um, you know, this feeling of being really out of control actually made me mad. And I'm at nature kind of rebellious and defiant, obviously ended up in prison in the first place. So that piece made me mad enough to decide that the only thing I did have a choice, you know, that I was going to figure out the kinds of ways in which I did have a choice. And what nobody could take away from me, what nobody could control is my inner world and the way that I was able to define and view what was happening to me. I could decide to subscribe to the paradigm that I was victimized and taken to prison and, you know, had been given this time and it was all a big disaster that I just had to grit my teeth and bear. Or I could decide that I didn't know, that I had no idea what was going to come of it, that time could perhaps be a gift as well as a punishment, that I could decide that maybe there was a way that I could find some kind of freedom that was as yet undefined and wouldn't be defined by merely my release from a literal prison and what that might look like. So it was a lot of like, moving into curiosity from judgment and refusing to accept the common definitions of what was happening to me. And that was, that was it in, you know, that was it. I just decided now what it would, would it look like if I actually decided to be grateful for this thing? I don't understand it. Who am I to decide whether it's good or bad? What if I just decide to be grateful for it and how might that look? for the future outcome of this, of this situation. And so there was a lot of that. There was, you know, I mean, let me not, let me just state also that none of this was in practice looked like the saintly endeavor that it sort of sounds like, because in between that there was much struggle and much pain and lots of tears and, and mistakes and, you know, just um, muddling my way through, you know, in retrospect, I can tell this story pretty clearly, but in the actual experience, um, it was lots of darkness with moments of light. That's remarkably insightful for a pretty challenging situation. So you, you get out of prison and you now have this opportunity to reinvent your life in a, in a new way. How did you get on this path to basically being a healer, being a health coach? Well, I'd already started, um, Actually, after I was indicted, there was a year and a half between being indicted by a federal grand jury and actually going to prison. During that time period, I didn't know whether or not I would be going to prison. I hadn't been sentenced. So I had actually started doing a yoga teacher training program before I went to prison. I told you I'd already found yoga. It was leading me to some other healthy practices, meditation, definitely more healthy eating. And so I had already kind of engaged this part of my life. Then when I was in prison, since I had started, I hadn't finished the yoga teacher training program, though I did work on it remotely, what I could do from inside prison, my, my yoga teacher training program, the living yoga program in Austin, Texas, they're brilliant and lovely. And they, um, were kind enough to support me through this time and let me stay in their program. And I do the things I could do remotely while I was in prison, I was able to be the yoga teacher. I actually ended up, that was my job. I did, I taught women's wellness in prison, smoking cessation and um, yoga. 
And so I was able to practice a lot of that while I was inside. That was a really fortunate experience and something really special to be a part of. And then I got out of prison and I immediately started a yoga class. I needed to pay for the rest of my training program, the residential part. And I started a class in the town that I was in. And so I immediately started teaching. That led to having my own studio. Um, I part-time worked when I had my own studio. I started writing a column for integrative living for the local paper. I started working at the health food store, sort of helping a friend out that owned a health food store, which led to more work in the health food store, which led to more information and education around nutrition and um, food and supplements. And I, I became really interested in that as well. And it just sort of evolved into this other thing. I ended up going to nutrition school. I learned that I could have a job that, you know, of course, freedom being one of my favorite things ever. I learned that through this fabulous internet that we now have, I could have a job that was location independent and my laptop could be my office and I could connect with like-minded people all over the globe. And I'm fascinated with the way that the internet wrinkles up the time space continuum so that we can interact with each other when we're not physically present and then choose to, you know, deepen those relationships. So I went to nutrition school and I decided to become a health coach and nutrition coach. And that's still growing and being redefined, but that was the basic trajectory to this point, from that point to this point. I kept adding, kept uh, editing and um, trying to find a way to make a life that had, that was supported. You know, I'm a big fan of the life work balance versus the work life balance. I'm convinced that we live in a time where our lives can support our work you know, our life's work even, rather than having, trying to create some kind of job that supports a life. You know, with the internet, we live in a world where we can create content from a life well lived that is the primary marketing engine for a successful business that takes care of the money piece. Mm, beautiful and encouraging. That's fantastic. So what's going on in your world now? What, um, what current projects are you excited about? I'm so excited. Um, so I have a, you know, the book sale. I'm very close to um, signing an agent for the memoir that I've worked really, really hard on. So that's, that's like my primary love at the moment is getting this book out into the world. I love my coaching business. My client contact hours are certainly some of my absolutely favorite hours. Um, so I spend a lot of time promoting that piece. I have, um, you know, I just started homeschooling my kid. That's really exciting. Unschooling, actually. I took my big risk and I took my son out of school. I started a very unambitious blog about that called um, adventuresinunschooling.com. And so that's like a fun side project that I'm doing just because it's fun to be doing this new experiment that's also kind of breaking apart the status quo. What else? I have a, I have a recipe subscription club that's a lot of fun that gives you know me an, another way to access my audience at a lower price point and e easier engagement. And um, God, lots of great connections. What else? I don't know. I have a local group here in Portland. 
<laughs> lots of irons in the fire, Andy. They all kind of feed the same thing, but um, lots of lots of good things happening. How can our listeners engage with you, Meg? They can find me. Um, I love Twitter. I am at Meg Warden, M-E-G-W-O-R-D-E-N on Twitter. My website is megwarden.com and they can email me. I'm in meg at megwarden.com and just say hi. Meg, is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? Have a good time, man. That's it. That's, that's what I have to say. That's what it all boils down to. God, if you're not enjoying your life, it's time to rethink things because this is, you've got one. It's both long and it's short and you should really, really have a good time while you're here. There's no reason not to. Well, Meg Wharton, it's delightful to make the connection with you. Thanks very much for spending this time with us and sharing your stories with us. My pleasure, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Meg Warden. Meg has accumulated a lot of wisdom and shares it freely. The show notes for this episode can be found at acongruentlife.net slash 25. That's the number 25. There I'll include links to many of Meg's resources, including her blog and her other writings. If you'd like to keep up to date with what's going on with Aiken Girt Life, please join our mailing list. There's a sign-up box conveniently located in the upper right-hand corner of the website. I'd love to share weekly updates with you about more interesting conversations that we're having. And I also really appreciate the iTunes reviews like Pruitt76 left. If there are things that I can do to make Aiken Girt Life better for you, please let me know. Please email me at feedback at aikengirtlife.net. Thanks again for being here and listening to Aiken Girt Life. I really appreciate your support of this project, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.